The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 16 to start out tonight. Uh, if you need a Bible, we have tons of them. We like to give them away for free. So those are back at the connection kiosk outside. If you don't see one there, grab an usher or someone with a here to help badge. And uh, we like giving Bibles away. If you don't have one with you right at the moment uh, or an app, this, the uh, verses will be on the screens for us to all study God's word together. Amen. Uh, so this is the last sermon in our series on the fruit of the Spirit. If you've missed any of the last nine weeks, they are all available on our website or on the podcast. Uh, thankful for that. Technology allows us to catch up. So thus far, we have looked at love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. So that means this week we're studying self-control, which is a perfect subject for a few days after Thanksgiving and uh, leading into Christmas. Amen? Uh, so for much of our culture... There is an inordinate focus upon body image, and this means that self-control is often talked about in the context of what we either eat or don't eat, Uh, but there's much more to consider on the subject. Uh, Many people think if you aren't sitting on the couch, you know, smashing a half a box of ho-hos while binge-watching Netflix and simultaneously uh, ordering things on Amazon Prime that you don't really need, that you're doing pretty good in the self-control department. Uh, that may be a decent low bar to set, but avoiding this scenario that I just described is is not the fullest expression of what the fruit of self-control looks like. So let's read in God's Word together, and we'll learn from Him on the subject, okay? Like I said, Galatians 5, we're going to start in verse 16 together. Here we go. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Praise God for his word. Uh, So we've been careful to say through this whole series that these fruit of the Spirit are not just moral characteristics that we should strive by our own strength to walk in. These are divine attributes that we are called to share in because God's Holy Spirit dwells inside those who have turned from sin to trust in Jesus. So it can be exceptionally hard, though, to remember this when this fruit is called self-control. It seems by its very nature to be about us and what we do or don't do, but we need to remember the principle that is laid out in Philippians 2.13, and really it's throughout the rest of the scriptures, but here's what Philippians 2.13 says. 
For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so none of the potential we have to walk in or manifest, flourish in these fruit of the Spirit listed here in Galatians 5, is going to be by our own strength alone. Uh, We can cooperate with God in the process of us walking towards the path of sanctification and growing in these things, but uh, if we get out into the weeds of thinking that we can do this on our own, white-knuckling it uh, in our own strength, we we have erred greatly, and we're going to be very disappointed. This idea is kind of why verse 16 that we started with says we must walk by the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit's help with even something so basic as uh, the way we walk. And and that's not to say, of course, that it's impossible to walk without the Spirit. There's folks that have not surrendered their life to Jesus, and they can walk just fine. But the point is that we, as followers of Christ, must see our need for God's help in even the seemingly ordinary and mundane parts of life. Self-control is the ability, with God's help, to say no to fleshly lusts and all those things which will lead to our destruction and to say yes to Jesus in the better way that he offers. Almost everyone, whether they believe the Bible or not, believes that some measure of self-control is a good thing. However, there does seem to be a growing disregard or trivializing of this idea. It seems like many folks are beginning to just accept that they are undisciplined in their thoughts and actions. And instead of striving to address issues or seeking help, they just throw up their hands and even make light of it. Uh, There are dozens of memes online, just to make sure we're all on the same page. I'm assuming most of you have been on the internet in the last 10 years. Memes are generally a picture that say something funny along with it, okay? So that's basically what's happening. But there's, there's these memes, and, and you got Kermit the Frog, and he's staring into a mirror, and staring back at him is himself, but he's wearing a black hood. And basically, this is symbolizing you've got good Kermit, and then like dark side Kermit staring back, okay? And I'm going to be honest, some of them are pretty funny. Um, but I just want to encourage us that we should also pay attention to what and why things make us laugh. What things make us laugh, and why they make us laugh. Uh, so each one of those memes is set up as, as a, like a conversation amongst yourself, um, and, and I took down a couple examples. Uh, so it's like me and then also me. That's the way they're set up. So it says, me, your alarm went off. Get up and get dressed. Also me, hit the snooze 37 times and blame it on traffic, right? So you get the idea here of what we're looking at. It's kind of a discipline. And, and that one, I'm going to be honest, that one burns a little bit, um, I, I wouldn't get somewhere and lie and say it was traffic probably, but I have, I have hit the snooze enough times to annoy my bride uh, on several occasions. Um, just so I know, I'm not the only one that, that has ever struggled with that. Has anybody else in here ever played the most dangerous game in the world? It's called Rest Your Eyes After You Turn the Alarm Off. Anybody ever played that one? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a dumb game. Don't play that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm just resting my eyes. Yeah. And then an hour later, you're scrambling, right? All right, here's another one. It says, me, I just got paid. I should probably save some money. Also me, fool, you get paid again in two weeks. It's time to live large. (laughs) Okay. So those are funny. Uh, And these Kermit memes are just one example or iteration of this me, also me 
style humor, but what, what seems to be happening here is people are they're commiserating and finding comic relief in their lack of self-control and discipline. And while I think it's okay for us to make light of ourselves every once in a while, we should not settle into accepting a lack of self-control as normative just because others are. There's this mentality we can slip into. It's like, well, everybody's screwing up, so not a big deal, right? Uh, everyone gets a hall pass because everybody's lazy and sloppy about discipline and nobody has any self-control. Uh, saying what I'm saying in another and hopefully more succinct way is, it's fine to laugh. It's fine to laugh at the silliness of our lack of discipline, but not to believe because our foolishness is funny, it isn't also dangerous. Now, some of you might be surprised or confused that I'm saying it's okay to laugh at our foolishness sometimes. And so I just want to give you an example of what I mean, because I don't want to trivialize sin or, or think that that's okay, but that's not really what we're talking about necessarily. We're talking about, well, I'll just give you the example. Uh, I was with a friend this weekend, and he was describing a situation that happened where uh, he was getting the turkey ready for Thanksgiving, and he wanted to brine it. So he's trying to brine the turkey, and things aren't going good. He's got it in the bag. It's like a 25-pound turkey, so he's wrestling this thing. And somehow from one station to another as he's working on it, the, the bag flops open, and there's brine and turkey juices and all kinds of stuff just all over the floor. And so he's very frustrated at this point. And then his bride comes in. Uh, I don't know if meaning to help, but makes some comments about the fact that we've now got turkey juice on the floor. And so, you know, that's ratcheting up the situation. His frustration is probably reaching levels of sinfulness. And, uh, and so he, he hits this limit and he's like, you know what? Do you want to took the turkey? <laughs> and because he misspoke, and it was even funnier because of how mad he actually was, right? You guys have been in a situation like this before, right? I'm about to make this point, and I'm, I'm boiling over, and then you do something like, I'm going to took the turkey, and everybody's laughing, and all of a sudden, the seriousness of the situation is diffused, and he's able to laugh at his own foolishness. That's what I'm talking about. What I'm not talking about is to then go on from there and say, okay, because we made a funny about that, I'm not going to acknowledge the fact that I was probably sinfully angry in that moment about the turkey juices on the floor, okay? You see what I'm saying? There's a difference there. It's okay to laugh at ourselves, sometimes probably healthy, but let's not just settle into this. And, and, and I don't know if you've noticed it, but I've noticed it seems like a trend of let's just, keep, let's just keep making fun of the fact that we've got no discipline or self-control. And if everyone feels like that's where they're at, then we can just let it be. God uh, requires more of us than that and, and desires more for us than that. If, if God, and why? Why is that true? Well, if God calls us to something... It is because the lack of it will lead to pain and sorrow, i.e. self-control. If God calls us to abstain from something, it is because that thing will lead to pain and sorrow. And it is, it is those two sentences that we struggle to believe more than almost anything. And every single time we choose to sin instead of obey God, it's because we forgot the truthfulness of what I just said to you. If God calls you to something, to do something, it's because a lack of that thing will lead to pain and sorrow. If he calls you to abstain from something, it's because that thing will lead to pain and sorrow. God only restricts or commands for our good. Now, that may not be good on your terms or uh, to the degree that you can even understand it. However, there's a certain degree of faith and trust in God's benevolent goodness that causes us to settle into uh, this idea that 
If he says no, it's for good reason. And if he says yes, it's for good reason. Uh, the, to the degree we believe that will determine how much freedom we experience in this life from slavery to sin. Uh, if we are following Jesus and filled with his spirit, then we cannot settle, we cannot settle for undisciplined lives. To be a Christian does not mean we will be perfect in this life, but it does mean we seek to be Christ-like. And Jesus graciously showed us with his life what self-control looks like. You could really look at the entirety of his life to get examples of it. As I was just praying and thinking about Jesus and, and whether or not he exhibited this fruit of self-control, my, my mind went straight to the Garden of Gethsemane where he is vexing over the upcoming torture that he knows is about to happen. The Bible says his stress level was to such a degree that he literally sweat drops of blood and that in this battle he's even praying to the Father and saying he knows there's no other way but he, it, it's so terrible what he knows is about to happen to him as he lays himself down for the sins of the world to be forgiven. He asks God if his cup can pass from me, but, but he ends with this, nevertheless, thy will be done. To, to be vexed to the degree about the next thing that, that he's called to do in obedience to the Father, to the degree that he is sweating blood, Jesus was anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit in self-control to be able to still yield himself to the will of the Father. That is a picture, a beautiful picture of self-control. I think also of the cross as they hurled insults and they spit on him and they gambled for his clothes, as many jeered at him saying, oh, you're the king of the Jews. If you can get down, come on down, friends. Little did they know he could have come down at any time. Little did they know he could have but whispered a command and legions of angels would have come and laid waste to every one of the mockers. And yet, because of this manifestation of self-control by the power of the Spirit in Jesus, he was silent as they did that. And even went so far as to spend one of his last breaths asking God the Father to forgive those who were jeering at him as he died for them. These are beautiful pictures from the life of our Master to help us understand what self-control looks like. And let us not trivialize Jesus' obedience because though Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man. And the temptation to disregard self-control was real. And yet, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that indwells and empowers us, Jesus persevered because he loves his Father and because he loves us. The stated purpose he had for going to the cross. For God so loved the world, he gave his Son. If we desire to walk in the fruit of self-control, we will need wisdom and guidance from God's word. So let me read you these scriptures, and this is going to help us begin to practically fill out and fill in what it looks like for us to walk this out in our daily lives. I'm in Luke. This is uh, starting in verse 923. It says, and he was saying to them, this is Jesus speaking, and he was saying to them, it's an intimate moment where he's teaching the disciples. All right, now I'll read. And he was saying to them, all... If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? These verses can really help us avoid two of the most common and opposite errors when it comes to self-control. Jesus says here, if we want to follow him, first of all, we must deny ourselves. 
And uh, that's what self-control looks like. Acknowledging that we have base urges and sinful tendencies and, and us fighting against those with God's help. Secondly, Jesus says we need to take up our cross. And this is really an extension of the idea of denying yourself. He's just giving some imagery to lay out what it looks like to, to deny yourself. And that's what taking up his cross. But then he says, he says this one word, that if we grab the truth of it, it's, it's going to help set us free. Here's the word, daily. He says, daily. If we're going to follow Jesus, we will have to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. And this keeps us out of the two opposite errors that I mentioned earlier. How so? The first error is the one we see in a parable that Jesus told. It's called the Pharisee and the tax collector. Some translations will say the Pharisee and the publican. Uh, it's in Luke 18. And so what happens is two guys come to the temple. Uh, the first guy walks straight up to the front, right in the middle where everyone can see, and he starts to pray a prayer. This guy's a Pharisee. He's a religious guy. And he starts out and he says, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that I'm not like these other sinners here. Definitely like not like that sinner in the back there. He's talking about the tax collector. Thank you that I tithe of everything that you give me. Thank you that I do all these good things. So his prayer, he starts with the word thank you, but he's not really thanking God. He's really thanking himself. Very full of himself. Very sure of his own righteousness. Then the tax collector prays. This is all a story Jesus is telling. The tax collector prays. It says he can't even look up, and he's beating his breast like this, and he's saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, one man left that day justified. One man left that day righteous before God, and it wasn't the Pharisee. It was the tax collector. Now, here, why does this apply to what we're talking about? No matter how disciplined you think you are, or how much self-control you think you have, you will need to deny yourself daily. And that may just be comparing yourself and your righteousness to others. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you are going to have to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily. And so this will help those of us who may have gotten to this foolish place that that Pharisee got to in the parable of thinking that our self-control is pretty good. We're doing, we're doing all right. We can look around and see a lot of other people with a lot less self-control and a lot more foolishness in their life start to feel pretty good about ourselves. Even if you haven't done anything that most people would recognize as foolish and dumb that day, you're still going to need to pick up your cross and deny your tendency for self-righteousness. Daily. If you're going to follow Jesus, daily you're going to have to deny yourself. Even if you think you've got it all figured out, you're going to have to deny the sinful, prideful thoughts that come around that. What's the other side of this? The other side is this idea of daily having to pick up our cross and deny ourselves. If we think about Elijah uh, in 1 Kings 19, uh, he basically says he goes out a couple days into the wilderness, sits under a juniper tree, and just wants to die. He starts praying to God. And one of the things he says, he says, I'm no better than my father's. Just kill me. And basically, this, this overall idea is he's begging God to die because he feels completely hopeless and completely worthless. And God has another idea. God's very gentle with him, deals with him in several different ways. One, by just making him some, has an angel make him some bread and, here, eat something. You're talking crazy. Secondly, <laughs> here's some water. Take a nap. So he deals with the physical side, but God meets him there and 
and does not give in to uh, his, his belief that he's useless uh, because of whatever the failings are that he's focusing on, uh, God meets him and, and says, yeah, you, you may not be any better than your father's, but I've still got a mission and a purpose for you. And so what is, how, how does that address an opposite error from the one we just talked about? Friends, we cannot despair. Do not despair when you find yourself daily at war with the enemy of us all and with your own sinful lusts. Because we were promised this battle would be a daily one. But Jesus has also promised to fight with us and for us, and that means in the end, victory is sure. See, I think some people get to the place where they're deceived in thinking that uh, they've got it all figured out. They've got self-control on lock. They're going to have to deny themselves daily and understand they still need Christ's help if for no other reason than to not fall into foolishness and pride. On the other side, there are those that seem entangled with almost every sin you can think of, and daily they are struggling, or they have, they have sins that they have, they have seemed to have victory before and then stumbled in again, and they, they begin to feel useless and hopeless. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, here's part of what that's going to look like. Daily, you will have to deny yourself. Those sinful tendencies, the remnants of the fact that we are in a broken world, that we have a flesh that wars against the Spirit. That's what Galatians 5 told us. And so friends, no matter where you're at on that spectrum, Jesus has told us daily this is a part of what it looks like to follow him. And if you're the person, dear friend, that's discouraged in your battle for self-control, please remember, remember this, you are justified by faith, but you are not sanctified yet. Sanctification is a process that begins when you first bow your knee to King Jesus. And it ends on that great and glorious day that you bow your knee before him face to face. In the in-between, he's going to keep working on you. In the in-between, you're going to have an opportunity every single day. Did you say an opportunity? That sounds positive. Well, at least we still know he's being faithful to his promises. At least we still know that we're in the game. He's not giving up on us. Praise God. If I may, I, just, I want to offer one more scripture, which is it's really practical and applicable here uh, along these lines. Well, it's a few scriptures, but just for context, I promise, I'm only here for one, okay? I know I, I, know I haven't built a lot of credibility when it comes to coming for one verse and leaving the rest alone, but <clears throat> I will this time. I'm in Romans 13, 11 to 14. Um, that, that won't be on the screens, but, but write that down if, if you don't have it. It says, do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. Now, some people would look at that and go, oh, well, this was written, you know, 2,000-ish years ago. And, and look, he's saying salvation is nearer to us than, than when we believe. Well, now it's been 2,000 years later. So was he wrong or whatever? I think the point is we just need to pay attention to that and understand that if this statement was true when he said it, it's that much more true now. <laughs> salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. It says, the night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness. So he he, he taught, he's giving a sense of urgency, man. There's, there is not much time. And if you, th if you think about from the time that Paul died, beheaded, quit writing letters to today, you might say, wow, that was a lot of time. That's 2,000 years. But if you put 2,000 years on a timeline that stretches over eternity, it's a blip. 
So there isn't that much. No, no, no matter how much more time God gives us to fulfill the mission he has called us to of spreading the light of his gospel and, and, and telling the hope of the story of Jesus to as many people as possible, it's not enough time. It's not, it's not a bunch of time. <laughs> so there needs to be a sense of urgency. That's the point here. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, since time is short, therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the, as in, as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Here's what I came for. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. See, dear friends, when it comes to the question of self-control, oftentimes we are fools. Oftentimes the game we play is we want to run right up to the edge of temptation and then start screaming to Jesus and, and everybody else and, and trying to summon up all the power to have self-control. When we've brought ourselves right to the edge of the thing where we're teetering and all it takes is a to send you over the edge. The wisdom of Christ, because he made us and knows us, as he's instructing and inspiring Paul to write this, is don't do that. Don't run up to the edge of temptation. Be smart. The Bible says we need to know the schemes of the enemy. We need to understand the way he plots and the way he moves. And so you've got to be two steps ahead. You need to understand, hey, if, I've got a, if I have a, had a struggle in my past of, let's say, looking at porn, um, here's, here's an idea. Don't sit in a dark room by yourself with a computer and no accountability. You've made provision for the flesh. You've set yourself up to fail. And now I'm sitting there and I'm having to try to summon up all of the power. And here's the thing. You're, you're probably going to lose that. That's why he says make no provision for the flesh. So if that's been your struggle, put digital safeguards on there. Don't have access to the internet when you don't have accountability around. Be smarter than Satan. Be smarter than your flesh. That's the whole point. I just use that example Apply that to whatever the struggle is, okay? Let's go back to ho-hos on the couch. If overeating and gluttony and not making good healthy choices with our eating and stewarding our bodies well is the issue, don't buy the ho-hos and bring them home as a decoration, okay? You've made provision for the flesh. Leave the ho-hos on the shelf where they belong or buy them and throw them in the garbage so no one else buys them. You know, do everyone a service. That's all they're good for, Okay? Amen. Do you understand the point there, guys? When it comes to a conversation about self-control, you cannot overemphasize the wisdom of making no provision for the flesh and thinking through every single time you stumble into sin, stop for a second and ask the Lord Jesus to help you understand where did, you had to have at some point made provision for the flesh. Mm, I, well, maybe that was an overstatement. I'll back that up. I'm not saying Satan and his cohorts never have a way to just out of the blue spring a temptation on you that you didn't see coming, but I would say a high percentage of the time, you've got a chance. Well, actually, I'm going to back it up now because the word of God says there's always a way of escape. So at some point, you could have hit the eject button on that. You see how this is, this is, how, this, this is scary right here. This is Kermit and the dark-hooded Kermit in the mirror having a conversation with themselves. I'm just working through it while I'm preaching. Is that okay? You had a way out. You didn't take it. That's the bottom line, man. Make no provision for your flesh. Don't be a fool. Don't set yourself up for failure. Come on, man. We've got to be smarter than that. And God can help us, okay? All right. We're, we're winding this sermon down in this series. And so to do that, I want to read you a couple passages of Scripture. 
I told you we're winding down to give you hope because I'm going to read long passages of Scripture. (laughs) But we're going to read these passages of Scripture as capstones to all that we've said and studied over these nine weeks, okay? And so as we go into that, Peter uh, gets the first word, okay? So this is, this is the way he opens up the book of 2 Peter, which the purpose of that book is he is, he is combating heretics, uh, which is great. So if you haven't been to 2 Peter for a while, go check it out. But he's dealing with some issues. So here's what he says, starting verse 1. It says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ... Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these things he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. He's talking here about the same language Paul uses in Galatians 5, that these divine attributes, because of the promises of Christ, because of the power of Christ are able to be shared with us, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Why did we come here? We came here because he lays out the, in, in beautiful language for a fisherman, if I may say so. Obviously, God was helping this guy. He's, he's not talking like a blue-collar fisherman. This guy is talking about the magnificent promises and the glorious excellencies, but he's talking about because of Jesus, we should walk in this way, and he lays, he lays it out, uh, one of those things being self-control. But if, as, you lay, as you go through that whole line of what he's building these attributes upon one another, he ends with love. It's love, my friends. It all ties back to that first and greatest command. I mentioned throughout the series, uh, especially towards the front end when we talked about the fruit of love, that Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, said Paul could have stopped with love as he was laying out the fruit of the Spirit because all of the rest of the fruit of the Spirit, including self-control, they just describe with more detail, really, the greatest fruit of love. I told you love's kind of like the, the one ring that rules them all. Uh, it really is, for all you Tolkien nerds that know what I'm talking about. Uh, amen. So, um, it's, it really does, it comes down to love. Love is the motivation, love is the outworking. And, and, I, and for some of you, I, I want to <laughs> say... You know, you might be thinking, you know, here we go again, all right? Pastor Vince is up on his hobby horse talking about love. It's always love this and love that, blah, 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 right? It's always love. And I, you know, I just, I want to say, I'm sure I have hobby horses, and I'm sure they are annoying at times, but dear friends, can I just submit to you that this is not one of them? If it's a hobby horse, it is God's, and that means we ought to pay all the more attention, He's the one that makes sure it's at the top of the heap everywhere you look. He's the one that makes sure wherever you look, love is supreme among the commands and among the promises that we've been given. The call of all of us, the call of self-control, it has to come out of a love for God and a love for people. If we're just 
being self-controlled because we like people to see that we're self-controlled or we don't like the feeling of not being in control. There's a difference between self-control and, and, and you thinking you have control of everything in your life, dear friend. All the control freaks said amen. Well, they kind of giggled because they didn't want to say they were control freaks, so they kind of shirked past that one. Okay, that's all right. That's okay. It comes down to love, all right? These next verses, these are the last verses I'm going to read you in this series on the fruits of the Spirit. So I'm asking you to please listen carefully to the words of our master because there's a reason that I'm going to leave you with this. This is John 14, verses 16 through 29. Jesus speaking. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you, and it will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Anybody sensing a pattern here? Or maybe an emphasis? These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. Self-control. And all of these fruit of the Spirit are only able to be experienced and expressed by those who belong to Jesus. This passage teaches us not that it is obeying Jesus' words that saves us, but it is obeying him that proves that we are saved. But he doesn't talk about it. Jesus doesn't talk about it in terms of just being saved or not. Let me read 23 to you again. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Dear friends, the question here is simple. Do you love him? Do you love him? Do you love Jesus? The Bible teaches, if you love him, you will obey him, and you will seek to walk in the fruit of his spirit. If you are struggling in these things, please start where Jesus starts. 
It's likely that you don't need some new advice or strategy against sin. You may just need more vibrant and passionate love for Jesus. That's where he goes. That's where he sees the root of the issue. We'd be wise to look at it the way he looks at it. And so the question you may be asking is, yes, I'm struggling with self-control. I'm terrible. I'm the ho-hos and Netflix and Amazon Prime guy. I'm doing all that. All this. I, I, I have no self-control. And, and I, I am tempted to just be slothful about it and just assume everyone's like that. Maybe, maybe that's you today. Maybe one of these other fruit of the Spirit, you're still dealing with uh, conviction as we talked about patience and, be, and, and peace and, and joy and gentleness. Maybe, maybe you really are. You, you see this deficit between what it looks like in, in you walking out your life and what these fruit of the Spirit are telling us we're called to. How do we, and if, if love for Jesus is, is really the issue, because if we love him, we'll obey him. If we love him, we'll walk in the fruit of his Spirit. How do we, how do we grow in love for someone? If, if our love for Jesus growing cold is maybe why we're struggling to walk in some of these fruit, that's what Jesus seems to be teaching, isn't it? It's about love. It comes back down to love. That's what Peter said. He laid it all out. In your moral excellence, in this and that, in this and that, in your self-control, he lays the whole thing down. And he says, at the end, all of that in love. Love is the capstone he uses. You'll find it throughout the scriptures. How do we grow in love for someone? If, if, if the issue is we need to love Jesus more, how do we do that? Well, how do we grow in love for anyone? We spend time with them. We get to know them. That's how you grow in love for someone. And so the question is, how do we do that with Jesus? Well, this is where I give you the three encouragements that preachers are always giving everybody, but we have to keep doing it because it's the truth. How do we grow in love for Jesus? How do we spend time with him and get to know him more? First is through his word. How do we, how do we say that? Well, John 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. There is something to opening your Bible and spending time in the scriptures that is exactly the same as sitting around a campfire with Jesus like the disciples did. There is a communion with Christ and with his spirit when we open this word, when we ask him to lead us into truth and, and illumine these scriptures for us and help us understand them. Understand that every single time you choose to open your Bible instead of Netflix, Hulu, Ho-Ho's, or some binge shopping on Amazon, every single time you make that choice, you're choosing to spend time with Jesus. And the more you read his word, the more you will know him. And, and I realized, I thought about this even as I was just preaching. I, don't, I didn't put it in my notes, but some of you may have thought this. I've gotten to know some people more and love them less. <laughs> okay. There are tough people out there. I get that. Mm, if God's helping us, we're not going to be that way with anybody, but here's one thing I can guarantee you. Jesus is perfect in all things, and the more you get to know him, the more you will love him. He's not hard to love. The second way we get to know Jesus more and love him more is through prayer, and that's simply communication. I had a conversation with some brothers today about marriage, and we're talking a lot about that lately, and what, is it, what does it look like? What helps? Uh, and... We all nodded our heads as we talked about different ways we seek to communicate with our brides, just to keep lines open and continually, not just 
um, assuming that because we had a conversation about something one time, that means we'll never have to have that conversation again, acknowledging that we're both growing and changing as life moves on and that it's this continual pursuit of one another for communication. And that's, I don't know if, I don't know what prayer is like for you. I don't know if you grew up in a tradition where prayer was very mantra-like and it was just you say certain words over and over, but that is not the intention that God lays out in his word for prayer. Prayer is supposed to be communication between God the Father and his children. God, through Christ, has made a way that you can speak to him. And if you learn to quiet yourself and listen, he also will speak to you. Sometimes he'll do it through uh, the word. Sometimes he'll, uh, through the Holy Spirit inside of you, uh, speak to you that way. But there is the potential for conversation. There is the potential for communication in a real and vibrant way with God the Father, the creator of all. And he desires it with you. The only wild card is, do we desire it with him? So through his word, through prayer, and the third is through gathering with God's people. And you may say, well, what does gathering with God's people have to do with me becoming more and more in love with Jesus? Well, think about this with me. The church is Christ's body. Okay? And if you haven't figured this out yet, let, let me make something plain. God has said in his word, you can't love him and not love his church. And I know that's not, a, that's not a popular stand, and some of you may be pushing back, like, well, show me a scripture. I don't have time, and if I go to 1 John 4 right now and try to show you what I'm talking about, and we get in all those verses about love, y'all going to starve to death tonight, okay? <laughs> if, if you don't believe me that God has said you can't love him and not love your brother and love the, the people of God around you, if you don't believe that's true, go to 1 John 4 and camp out there until you believe it. Because if you go there and you read it and you don't believe it, you miss something. So read it again. Because when you get done, you're going to find out that God has said through his word, there is no, well, you can love me but not love the church. They're one and the same, man. And, and why? Why is that the case? Part of the reason for that is because one of the primary ways God reveals his beauty and goodness and mercy and his character to each person is through other people. Come on now. That's what I'm talking about. So a light bulb just went off for somebody, and that's a, that's, a, that's a beautiful truth right there that a lot of people are missing. When people get down in the, in, in, in the, the scramble and, and the, the war of words over whether gathering with God's people is important and what all that means, oftentimes it simply just comes down to somebody got hurt or somebody is, doesn't like the discipline of commitment. Whatever it is, oftentimes it comes down to just silly stuff like that. But here's, here's what you gotta, you got to understand. By loving God's people, by walking with God's people, that's part of how God wants to reveal his mercy and his goodness and his character to you. It's, and, and, and I'm going to go so far as to say it's one of the primary ways. As we walk together, spurring each other on to love and good works, and watching the power of the gospel transform one another, we see more clearly and thus love more deeply our Savior King who bought us with his blood. We praise God for the gospel. We thank God it has the power to transform us. Thankful that Jesus came and lived the perfect life we couldn't, died the death we should have, and then rose from the grave. Hallelujah. May we be a people who walk in the fruit of self-control 
and all the fruit of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. For the glory of our King and the good of his people. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the fruit of self-control. God, please help us to walk in it. Help us, Lord, to love you more each day. Help us to desire to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, all of them, and to put the flesh to death. We need your help to do this. We can't do it without you, Lord. Please help us, God. Help us to remember that we're going to have to deny ourselves daily and take up our cross. Whether we're someone prone to being discouraged by that battle and feeling worthless, or we're someone that has been tricked into thinking we don't need to deny ourselves, that we've got self-control on lock. God, help us. Help us to daily pick up that cross. May we be a disciplined people. Help us, Lord. We need it. We love you. We give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.com dot org.